This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. It's the Chapter 49 podcast. We try to do this every week. Uh, I was out of town last week, so we were unable to record last week, but we are back after that one-week interregnum. And welcome back, uh, my partner in crime, Mr. Duncan Giles, president of Chapter 49. Good morning, Larry. Good to be with you, sir. Yeah, there's uh, no shortage of subjects. Uh, so <laughs> some, are, some are good, some are bad, some are sort of in the middle. So let's start with one that I think is, is a little in the middle, and that has to do with the open season for health insurance. Uh, we've tried to put this on our Facebook page for people who need to know the general information. Uh, there will be an increase in the premiums. It will not be as big as we've seen in past years, but it's still a few percentage points, which will likely mean that many of us uh, retirees and employees included will likely lose ground because the health insurance premiums will rise at a higher rate than our pay. So um, I think there is, a, say a few words about that, Duncan, and also what NTEU does to try to help people make decisions on which health plan to choose. Yep. Uh, the, it's always interesting during opens trying to figure out which plan is best for you. And of course, there are three models you can choose from self, self plus one, if it's just you and a another or family. And it's always trying to figure out, you know, people, I, I've noticed a lot of years, okay, I'm just going to keep what I have because there are too many choices out there and I don't want to do, you know, that much research and that much thinking, which can cost you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in just premiums every year. You always want to take a look, see, you know, the doctors that you do go to, see what plans they accept. Then you take a look at what plans are available through the uh, FEHB, the Federal Employee Health Benefits Plan. And a great tool to do that, that again, NTU is offering is called the check, uh, the checkbook. And what that does is it'll allow you to compare, easy for me to say, apples to apples comparisons on different plans. I did this last year. I had been a longtime um, user of one plan that's uh, the vast majority, I would say, of employees, especially in Indiana, used. And I looked at that and what it would cost me. And I looked at the other plans and went with a smaller plan that was still a nationwide plan and still well-known insurance. I don't want to recommend anybody. Uh, anything specific, but it's a national company, well-known. If, if I said the name, you'd know it, that this particular group has. And I saved myself probably about uh, $1,500 in just premiums alone. So uh, I think the, the moral of that story is uh, do your homework, and NTEU can help you do that homework with the checkbook program. Now, when will that be available, or do we know yet? In terms of again, this is available to any member, by the way. Yeah, the checkbook will be on our website. Uh, it'll be up a few days before the open season goes up, so you'll have some time to take a look at it. And you, of course, have to be a member. Membership does have its privileges, uh, but it'll be very clear on the N2 website. Uh, if you don't know where it's located or need some help, absolutely email me. I'm happy to help you out with that. 
but it really does behoove you to take a look, see what the, um, you know, each plan offers, see what their um, premiums are, see, you know, what, what you would have to pay up front if something happened or occurred. So you, you just, you can really save yourself a lot of money and still retain the same coverage that you've always had. Well, let's move on to another subject. The day we are recording this is October 22nd. I think we're about 11, 12 days away from the official election day. Uh, in Indiana, if you have a number of excuses, including being out of town on election day, uh, you can uh, take an absentee ballot, but I think today's like the deadline. So, But there is still, it might be the October 22nd, uh, to get to uh, request a, an absentee ballot, but you can still, in most places in Indiana, vote early. I have already voted early. My wife and I uh, did that here in Hamilton County, just north of Indianapolis, uh, really about a week ago, and uh, we had waited about a half hour, got there as the, the polls opened. Uh, so you'll have a wait. Just be prepared. The wait will vary depending on the time of day and where you're going. Um, so early voting is available in most places, but uh, talk about voting. I mean, I think that even in popular culture, I've been looking around. I saw Time Magazine today. Their next edition will not have the logo of Time at the top of the front page. It just has the word vote. So this whole idea that people need to make a special effort to vote this time around seems to be a message we're hearing from a number of places and you're hearing it from the National NTEU uh, organization, and you are certainly hearing it from Chapter 49. You just talk about voting for a moment. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I can't emphasize enough that everybody needs to vote. This is a very important election, especially when it comes to federal employee issues. I would urge everybody to take a look at that. You know, you're never going to agree with one candidate or another, regardless of office, on everything. Um, you know, the main drive that I have is, okay, where where they stand on employee federal issues that are important to me. So that's how I make that decision. But I just urge everybody to get out and vote. And as you said, in Indiana, the polls are open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you are if you're on a Maxiflex schedule. You can arrange to, you know, go and arrange your schedule so that you do have time to vote. If your start time is 9 a.m. or after, you need to vote beforehand um, to, you know, because the contract allows three hours before, three hours after. If your tour starts or ends during that time period, you don't get any additional time off. So if you start time at 9, you have between 6 to 9 to vote. If you start earlier than 9 a.m. or not on a Maxiflex schedule, you do get some administrative time to vote per our contract. And that would entail if you start at 8 a.m. and your tour ends at 4.45 um, p.m., you would get an additional hour. You'd get an hour either beforehand or after work, uh, an hour, leave an hour early to go ahead and vote. So there are different ways of doing it. Like you said, you can vote absentee, which I did because I'm working the polls. Um, and it, I just can't stress enough that I think everybody, regardless of political party, left, right, center, doesn't really matter. 
you need to make your voice heard, and this is your opportunity to do it. Yeah, a couple of things uh, I, I just want to add to that. You know, I, I'm old enough to remember when like 99% of the people of the Indianapolis IRS office had a tour of duty of 8 to 445. There were very few exceptions to that. In that case, everybody was eligible for that one hour. Not true today, as you say. We have shifts. We have different. We have maxi flex. We have different kinds of arrangements today. So arrange to vote. You know that's the main thing. Check it out. Make sure you, uh, that uh, you have made the proper arrangements, and that one hour does not apply to early voting. It just applies on election day. Another thing you and I talked about before we started here, just uh, as as we were preparing for this. In Indiana, if you are in line to vote at 6 p.m., you are supposed to be allowed to vote, no matter how long it takes, no matter how long the line is. Now, every precinct has to have their own way of of policing this. Most of them at 6 o'clock just send somebody out and and divides the line, sends everybody home that came in after 6 o'clock. But just want you to know if, if you go to the last minute and you uh, you show up at the polls, and you're there by 6 p.m., you may have to wait, and you may have to wait a long time, but you are entitled to vote. Yeah, that's absolutely correct, and to be honest with you, I checked out the statute on that this morning because I'm going to my poll training tomorrow, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, among other things, okay, in this COVID age, how, how are we going to be protected as a poll worker? Because I volunteered to work 12 hours the entire shift. And I want to make sure that, A, I'm going to be protected, B, that they're going to be safeguards in place for people in line. But C, I wanted to make sure to see what the statute said. And the statute is very clear in Indiana. And I'm sure in other states, your mileage may vary, but you want to check that out as well, is that if you are in line, you are absolutely entitled to vote. So I want to make sure that it's if it's not brought up in my class, I'm going to be bringing it up and I'm going to make sure that uh, where I'm going to be working when we have a pre-meeting, that that's clearly understood that I don't want to, I want to make sure everybody is able to do that. I don't want to disenfranchise anyone that shows up by 6 p.m. here in Indiana to be able to vote. And it should be noted that some people working at the polls are, are volunteers. Most are paid. And when you uh, work at the polls, you do have to take your leave if you're want to. If you a federal employee and want to work at the polls, right? Absolutely. I'm taking off Tuesday to work the polls, and I'm taking off Wednesday to recover because I don't bounce back near as well as I used to. <laughs> and to 13 or 14-hour workday, I, I want to get some downtime. Well, you are you, know, you are in good company. <laughs> <with> <laughs> so uh, you're not alone by any means. I want to talk a little bit about, about appraisals and valuations, that kind of thing. There's one concept that has been out there, and uh, it is especially seems to be some managers who feel like if you are starting a new job, with uh, critical job elements that may or may not uh, be the same as the one before. Sometimes they're completely different. A few are going to always be the same. But yet uh, we seem to have this propensity among certain corners of management that uh, you start a new job, uh, you're presumed to be just in the middle. You are presumed to be uh, a three in terms of your performance. Talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, what we're running into right now are two things. Exactly as you said, we've gotten a lot of people that have switched jobs. And even if you go to a different division from, say, SBSE to I, you know, that work that you did in that different division does carry over. So it may be an apples to oranges comparison, but there's still a comparison there. And you still should be, uh, you know, valued for the work that you've done. And they need to take a look at that documentation. So that has to be addressed. The other thing that I'm noticing now that I think COVID has a big impact on is because managers are not able to see or hear all the work that's being done, that sometimes they'll say, well, we don't have enough to rate you on this, so we're going to give you a three. And that is absolutely incorrect. If there is not enough work or there's no documentation on a particular job aspect, that should be N-A, non-applicable. It's not applicable. It's you can't sit there and say, okay, that's a meets. That is not a meets if you don't have enough documentation. That's yeah. an NA. Yeah. Not be harmed by that. I think that uh, one thing people need to do, and having been both a union official and a manager in my career, is that sometimes a not applicable also is not a good idea, especially if you're looking to promote your, be promoted and so forth. So what I think, you know, may, uh, uh, Managers and employees need to do, and if, if the manager's not doing it, the employee needs to make the first move, is if you don't think you're being evaluated on one or more aspects of your critical elements, talk to your manager to make sure you're getting some work assigned to show what you can do on that aspect of your critical elements. So I do think, and, and you can be involved in this too, Duck, and if, if an employee's having trouble getting through with their manager on this, is that uh, you have to be given an opportunity to perform. That's why those critical elements are there. These are the assignments of work you are supposed to be getting for the job that you have. That's exactly correct. We need to, you know, you need to work with your manager and they need to work with you, honestly, to make sure that you do get, as you said, things that will show up on those critical job elements and those aspects for that so you can be rated on it. Because... Um, speaking for somebody whose uh, appraisal's been N.A. for a lot of years, you know, that doesn't really, you know, that's, it may not be great, but it's better than a presumptive three, in my opinion, because it usually, a uh, presumptive three will usually, especially if you're a good performer, knock down your rating when it should. So yeah. you just want to be very mindful of that. I think people need to know, and I'm, I'm going to bring it up since you probably won't, uh, you sort of uh, touched on this, that uh, when you are a full-time union official, yes, you are being paid by the federal government to do this work, but uh, you are unable to perform under your critical elements, and you have not applicable. You are not eligible for awards. You really can't uh, easily or, or compete for an, uh, a promotion if you would choose to do so. So when you are a full-time union official, uh, you do give up some things, and I, I think uh, people like chapter presidents, and there in bigger chapters there are a few other people who are full-time, you give up a little something uh, in your career to do that. So I'm just going to put that in there for people to know that you know, they talk about you know, union officials who are full-time or nearly full-time getting, uh, you know, being paid by the government. Is that right? Well, they're doing work for you, and they are giving up a lot in their career to do that. So I'm just going to leave that as my editorial opinion. 
thank you for that. And yeah, that's that's all correct. That's that's all I'm going to say. That that's absolutely correct. Well, and I want to talk about something else that I saw today this week, and I want you to comment on it to the extent you you know much about it. The Office of Personal Management, OPM, is like the HR department for the federal government. It is a an executive branch agency under the purview of the president, as Treasury is. Treasury and IRS are executive branch agencies. But there were some n- new rules that came out recently dealing with people who are having performance problems. So what do you know about this, and what should we uh, be aware of in, in this realm? Yeah, this comes from the president's executive orders that he issued um, well over a year ago, uh, probably close to two that, to be honest with you, are quite detrimental to employees. There might be a good thinking behind it that, you know, want to make sure that, quote, problem employees or employees who aren't performing up to standards aren't uh, are dealt with. Well, there are avenues to deal with them. You know, specifically, I can speak to in our contract, if managers are willing to do that and put in the correct work, most of the time, Managers do not want to do that because it does take effort. And I'm not downgrading managers because they've got a ton of things to do. So a lot of times I'll let that go by the wayside. But some of these things that they're talking about uh, include things like not having any duty to counsel employees if their performance starts to fall. And that's always been one of our hallmarks in our agreements is that if managers are saying, hey, your work is not where it was, okay, you have a duty to counsel me, you have to you know, appoint a coach or put me on some sort of action plan, some things to get me back up to the standard that I was. Under OPM's interpretation and regulations for these uh, executive orders, that's not going to be the case. There is not going to need to be that duty to counsel. So they can say, okay, you're going from exceeds to fails on several of your aspects. Well, I don't think this is right. Well, that's tough. I mean, right now we have the protection of the contract. Once that contract is up, that's that's not going to be the case if these executive orders remain in effect. Now, uh, NTU has done and is doing everything that they can to fight this. Um, but as it stands at this particular moment in time, that's, that's where it would lie once the contract is up and that's going to come next year. Yeah. So be aware of that. Uh, we're going to keep a close eye on that as an institution, as a union. And, uh, these are not, uh, are these rules, in, uh, is it like a comment period or are these rules like, uh, supposed to be in effect right now by OPM? The comment, the comment period has passed. Okay. So getting ready to issue these as final regulations. So as long as we have contract language, that duty to counsel, which is kind of a misnomer as far as the, the way it sounds in a way it is, that just simply means management has a responsibility if your performance goes down to bring it back up again. That's all that really means. And if that, yeah. so, but so as long as it's in our contract, it still applies to IRS employees who are covered by our contract, uh, but uh, negotiating a new contract, that that puts us in a whole different set of rules. So this is a very important issue. We'll keep you all up to date on that. It won't have an immediate effect on you, but we uh, we are we are watching it very carefully for the future. Yeah, one one thing I would like to add on this is 
one of the things that OPM mentioned in their responses to the comments was uh, the survey, the fees that goes out to federal employees, the viewpoint survey. And they said that, you know, a large number of employees think that nothing happens to poor performers in their area. Well, due to disclosure, they're not going to know if anything's happening to them. There could be a lot of things going on behind the scenes, including disciplinary actions that other employees aren't and shouldn't be aware of. So to sit there and say, we're going to use fees as a basis of, you know, getting out of a duty to counsel is, um, is just not right to me. Yes, perceptions and reality are not always the same thing. So uh, well said, well said. All right, let me talk about something else. Uh, NTEU has been raising an issue with the management for, a, I wouldn't want to say years, but at least a very long time, that uh, the agency had the uh, authority under the law to grant administrative time for people who are caring for loved ones. We really hadn't received much uh, response. Well, we'll get to it when we can. We really never got much of a specific uh, discussion of any kind with the management on this. And lo and behold, one day the management unveils this. Well, guess what we have? Administrative time for caregivers. Um, and um, I, I, this is very interesting, the way the management uh, literally overnight decided they wanted to do this after doing nothing for a very long time. So talk a little bit about the, about the pathway to this uh, admin time for caregivers program. Yeah, this is, as you said, this has been going on for a very, very long time. And for anybody that thinks management just decided to do this out of the goodness of their heart, like you said, showed up one day and decided to do this, I want to absolutely disabuse you of that notion because it is absolutely incorrect. NTU has been pushing for this for years, many years. And they finally, um, IRS has finally done it to a degree. And how they're doing it is that they um, are saying, okay, that until December 31st or an evacuation order is lifted, and I don't believe it'll be lifted by December 31st, it'll provide up to 20 hours of admin time for employees who are teleworking, teleworking under the evacuation order not unfortunately going into work, and I'll get into that in a second, and struggling with um, looking for school age or younger children in the home for care for them or elderly adults who also need care. You don't have to exhaust all your leave to take this. You don't have to use the emergency leave that's capped at two-thirds of your pay. You can use this 20 hours of admin leave you basically need to state your reasons why you want to use this as opposed to maxi flex or the emergency leave, things of that nature. And managers have to take a look at this on a case-by-case basis. So it's something that's that's been a long time coming. It's very good. There are still some hoops to jump through, but it is available. Now, to those folks who are coming in to work every day, not teleworking, and saying, hey, I've got these same issues with young children with schools being closed during COVID or learning at home or elderly parents, what about us? Rest assured, NTU is continuing to push for folks who are not teleworking as well because we know that they have the same issues. 
IRS decided to say, we're going to parse it this way, and we're still pushing back hard to try and get it for all employees who are impacted in a situation like this. Okay, so to be determined that, that we are, as a union, are going to push very hard for those who are maybe not able to, to take advantage of it as written now, but this this process is still continuing, and and we'll, uh, we'll keep you up to date on that. You know, Duncan, you just mentioned something, and I, I do want to bring this up. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, it seems to me that not just the federal government, not just the IRS, but it seems to be true in the private sector and other levels of government that everybody is treating COVID-19 as, okay, this is just a temporary measure. You know, we're just trying to get through the emergency. The emergency will pass. Two things that I want to point out. There was a conference call that was done by the CEO of United Airlines, and he told everyone on this conference, I can't remember if it was public or if it just got leaked out, but it was from a reliable source, that he thinks United Airlines should recover in 2024. Item number two, I just finished reading the book written by Bob Woodward all right, about the, about the Trump administration and all that. Uh, Dr. Redfield, who heads up the uh, Centers for Disease Control, has been telling people privately, based on this book, ever since COVID began, that it will take two to three years for us to get to anything that we might even think is remotely normal. Do you think that just based on those two pieces of information, which have really uh, impacted my thinking on this, are we looking at this the wrong way? Is this really an emergency, or, or do we need to kind of settle in for a new normal that may last two or three years? I, I think that they, the thinking is switching over to the latter. I really do, because at first everybody was like, okay, what do we need to do? Back in March, what do we need to do to continue operations? I'm speaking again just for IRS. And the decision was made, okay, we'll shut down the service centers, we'll get everybody on telework that we can get. Then we start to reopen. But I think that for quite a long period of time uh, in the future, we're still going to be looking at um, maximum use of telework. We're still going to be looking at social distancing. We're still going to be looking at masks in the workplace. This isn't ending anytime soon. Even if there's a vaccine that comes out, a, it's going to take a long time to distribute. B, as everybody knows from flu shots, a vaccine is no guarantee that it's going to be a total panacea and solve everything. So, you know, we're going to be riding this for a few years. And, and those studies and calls that you mentioned that say, okay, it's going to take us a while to get back to what our normal used to be, I think are spot on, unfortunately. Well, I just hope that leaders in every aspect of our lives, that they, uh, they're looking at this the correct way. And, and uh, that's what bothers me. We need to, to plan for reality, not what may or may not happen. And, and when it comes to vaccines, uh, I'm no expert in this, so you read the people who are. I mean, there is a crash program going on amongst the private sector. Everybody wants to be first. But you, uh, an effective vaccine must be, uh, be safe as well. You can't create more problems than it solves. And and Dr. Redfield, the CDC director, has also said publicly in, in congressional testimony that even if there is a vaccine, 
he does not believe the vaccine will be more effective than wearing a mask. So think about that for a moment. Exactly. And you mentioned a crash program, which, to be honest, scares the hell out of me. And the reason being is, is like you said, you don't want to have a vaccine that could potentially cause more damage than it helps solve with um, after effects and side effects, because normally on a clinical trial, they will go potentially for years to monitor people who are in these tests to make sure that they don't have these you know, bad side effects. But we're rushing a vaccine because a vaccine is absolutely needed, but it's not going to replace social distancing. It's not going to replace mask usage. So for those people who are saying, well, you know, you're infringing on my uh, rights by making me wear a mask. Yep, we sure are, and it's the same way we're infringing on your rights by telling you that cigarettes cause cancer and that you need to wear a seatbelt. Um, that's it's it's for the public health and the public good. Final issue for this podcast: uh, people are seeing a little more money in their pay because of the Social Security uh, tax deferral. We have talked about this numerous on numerous occasions. Uh, encouraging people to save that extra money. You're going to have to pay it back in some way. We still don't know how. We've been asking, and the management's saying, we'll get back to you. They still don't know themselves. But uh, what needs to be understood here is that we've tried on our Facebook page to update people that there are some proposals in Congress that would switch this or make it an optional sort of thing where you don't have to participate in this. Um, however, if you look at the timing, we're already in late October. This uh, deferral would end at the end of the calendar year. The chance that uh, Congress could enact a statute and implement it before the end of the year at this point is, is very small. So once again, Duncan, uh, I think uh, our message is just uh, save that extra money and be prepared to pay it back next year. Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to see a deferral option where you could opt out of it, but I just, I just don't see it. So in being, even if it's done, you know, even if it's passed both houses, you know, when would it be effective? Well, there's probably enough to maybe save a paycheck or two paychecks. So you, it's, it's not going to do much good and that's even best case. So just save that money because you know, you're going to have to pay it back and we'll, we'll hope for, a, a something soon that will tell us how it's going to be paid back. It still stuns me that nobody has an answer as if this is going to be a paycheck by paycheck or are you going to be able to pay all at once or how it's going to work. Well, we're posting this uh, less than two weeks from Election Day, so we will continue to keep you updated. Uh, we do a plan on having another podcast uh, next week. Any uh, any final parting comments uh, before we wrap this up? Just please be safe out there. Take care of one another, and get out if you can early and vote. If you, if you're not already doing an absentee ballot in Indiana, it's probably going to be too late. But you know, make sure that you have a plan to vote. And by the way, there have been some court decisions one way or the other. If you have an absentee ballot, you don't trust the Postal Service, and you want to hand deliver it to your your county uh, clerk's office, wherever you may live in Indiana, 
uh, you have to have it hand-delivered by noon on Election Day. There was some uh, litigation. There was actually one judge that ruled that you could have it postmarked uh, by a certain date. Uh, that was overturned. So the way the law stands now, if you're going to put it in the mail, get it in like today. <laughs> you know, Don't wait uh, on the absentee ballot. Or if you want to hand-deliver it, you can do that. But uh, just uh, make sure you do it by noon on Election Day. So you just heard Duncan Giles. He's the chapter president for Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in Indiana. My name's Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer for Chapter 49 and a retiree. So we wish you well. We'll be back next week, as we mentioned before. So please be safe and be kind.